0: Welcome to episode 107 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined in Paris by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Bonsoir, Courtney. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. You seem, to, all right. you seem to be surviving, like, not at war with Paris.
1: No, definitely not at war with Paris. I think a number of things factor into that. A, have kind of now know, like, where the restaurants are that are open late. Key. So I can get some food. So I'm less, actually today on the radio, uh, I was on our, our Radio Roland Garros with Gigi Salmon. Good plug, good plug. Yeah, hopefully we'll get on the radio, or on the show, because Gigi's great. And um, she was making fun of me. About the episode before Wimbledon last year, where I hadn't eaten, and I was an absolute asshole,
0: you were yeah,
1: so um, yeah, she was like, "I was so scared of you
0: <laughs> and you she wasn't even in the recording exactly room with you. you
1: didn't even see Ben he no. was in a, he was in a mask, um so yeah, it was uh so now i'm I'm fed well, which is good, I think also expectations, I just don't really expect to be entertained by anything non tennis related while i'm here, so I don't know. All in all, it's all good. We're once again with our good our good friend Chantal.
0: Yes. <laughs> in
1: our lovely Airbnb which I love. Which so is not much.
0: Serena, cuz I think she does go by that name also, doesn't she? Doesn't she have some French name that she goes by, Serena? It might be, right. I that, think it's it like, call sound, me Chantal. Yeah,
1: it does sound familiar. So, yeah, so it's fine.
0: Okay, there we go. Yeah, it's been a good week so far. I've been, I been—I will say I've been undercarbonated. This is a first world problem because the Oh, per- you're going
1: you're gonna to bust out your rant now?
0: I don't know if we're going to do—if uh, if I do have a rant, maybe I'll save it. But basically, this tournament used to have an endless supply of Perrier. And here, this year, it is not totally gone, <sighs> but just, like, so scant. And you need to like really hunt for it. It's kind of a kind of a Lord of the Flies situation sometimes. <laughs> for me and only me. Let's be clear. No one else cares as much. But for me, it's a game changer. He really and I feel like
1: sparkling water, what can you do? And I
0: feel like my reporting has been undercarbonated, and if you can tell the difference, I apologize. But know that it's not my fault, I'm doing my best.
1: <laughs> do my best. Do my best. On flat, tiny
0: bottles of Vitel water. Can we start with the do my best? We're gonna look back in this episode. For... We are
1: not gonna talk about anything that's going forward.
0: Because we want this episode to have some staying power, not just because when we record this, is Sunday night, so there's a match Federer and Monfilsis midway through and not even done yet. So we are not going to talk about what's going to happen going forward at all. We're going to look back because we are... I'm like Victoria Azarenko said, what do you learn from Madrid? Oh, I don't look back. Oh, we do look back. That's all we do. We live in the past. <laughs> we... I have a mansion in the past.
1: It is filled with secrets and skeletons and sadness.
0: There we go. That was dark. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're in Paris. You have the
0: weirdest interior decorator in your, in your mansion. <laughs> uh, let's start JJ. the story that started on day one. W- uh, let's start with the one that happened the f- day before the tournament. In some previewing of the thing, we'll keep this one fairly quick, with Stan Wawrinka. This was a big story pre-tournament, A article that came out on the Roland Garros website, most notably of all, which Stan objected to, which said, and it was only up there for a brief window, of maybe about 20 minutes, and it longer was... Longer than that. Okay, longer than that? Yeah. Okay.
1: Definitely, like, maybe, like, 90 minutes or so. Okay.
0: But yeah. on there for a while, and it was premised on talking about Stan's personal life, using the fact that his first-round opponent, Marcel Ilhan's name, sounded similar to that of his uh, wife, who he recently separated from, uh, Ilham, and then went on to speculate about various things in his personal life with um, linking him with uh, Croatian player Donna Vekic, who made third round here, surprising everybody. It's a great tournament for her. Good week for her. Yep. Um, That part wasn't great. Uh, That was obviously a big splashing sort of, like, eyeballs-popping-out moment early in the tournament. Courtney, what did you make of all of that?
1: Um, You know, I mean, I just—I think that everyone's reaction, having spoken to a number of the reporters around here, I mean, everyone's jaw kind of dropped as as we read through the piece— um, given that this is just not something that typically tournament websites do, I, I think that's the really big thing here. This wasn't a private blog post. This wasn't a newspaper. Uh, newspaper article. This wasn't the Daily Mail. This wasn't any of those sorts of things. This was a tournament branded, a tournament uh, effectively um, endorsed, uh, kind of TMZ esque uh, piece of uh, piece of writing, Very which was catty. yeah, it, because it wasn't just. It's one thing if you wanted to, as a tournament, say, okay, we're going to do this preview. We think it's kind of funny about this whole Ilhan Ilham thing. So we're going to do this piece on a publicly known fact, which is that Stan is separated from his wife because they have both issued at this point, three statements about it, and you kind of like put something together based on the public statements and leave it at that. It's a pretty
0: stupid premise for an article, but okay.
1: Yeah, like, I get that. I think it's aggressive. I don't think that most tournament uh, people would do that, but if that's what you wanted to do, I get it, and that's fine. But um, this went a little bit further than that, and so I'm definitely not surprised by Stan Wawrinka's reaction to it. Um, He called it a shit article. He uh, he, kind of called for firings and all these sorts of things. Head should roll. Yeah, heads should roll and all that. But it definitely was a weird day because, on the same day that that all happened, uh, there was the, that security uh, security issue um, uh, out on Center Court with Roger Federer on the Sunday of the first day of the tournament. So it was like a really weird Sunday because you were weird, dealing with really weird stories. That, um, I don't know, it, was, it just felt like an odd way to start, not an ominous way to start the tournament. Yeah. put it
0: this way. It was before I even got here, because I got here late Sunday, so I missed the first day. And a lot of crap had gone down by then, so I was feeling behind. But also at the same time, not sad that I missed either of those things. Um, the Federer incident was ridiculous in that a fan came on court after he routinely beat Alejandro Faya. Um, wanted a selfie, but this guy walks right to Federer and the security guard stands there and does pretty much nothing. And
1: Roger looks at the security and guard Roger's like, are you going like, to do Roger something? And Roger freezes. Yeah.
0: And you just should not be having court invasions at any time. It doesn't matter how harmless the the kid looks. And he was a, large teenage boy. He was like, you know, not like a kid, not, right. like, not a He's not child. a child. No. This
1: wasn't the child who reached out and tried to hug Andy Murray, you know, at Wimbledon. I just wanted to bring that up because it's <laughs> such a sweet moment. It was the Olympics, right? It was in the Olympics. And that was Andy Murray going into the crowd. So yeah. once you do that, all bets are off with right. respect to security. But in your work, in your workspace, which is that court, um, that should just never happen. And, and I was, you know, pretty surprised by some of the reaction afterwards, like, um, you know, of of kind of shrugging a little bit. Oh, that guy looked like he wasn't dangerous. Yeah. Oh, nothing happened. I mean, this was coming from some players as well. I mean, some players kind of were like, well, nothing happened, so what's the big deal sort of situation? And I really... That's not how it works. That, is, that to me just shows a very um, a poor understanding of the history, very pretty recent history Of this sport of, of obviously, we refer to the 1993... No, yeah, 93, stabbing of Monica Seles. And this is a sport where, I mean, Ben and I see it all the time. You know, I mean, we get... Not we, but, I mean, as fans, you get tremendous access to the players. I mean, these players walk around the ground. Sometimes they're unescorted, um, you know, and and fans can kind of just walk up to them. And that is all kind of the risk that, in a lot of ways, the players take as they walk in amongst the public. But on the court... It needs know, to be a sanctuary. Ne- that's it. And this is, again, it's one of those things where you can't even dismiss it because this isn't the first time something like this has happened at this specific tournament. And, you know, whether it's flares being snuck in, um, people jumping over barriers to get flares onto court dangerously close to Rafael Nadal yeah. a couple of years ago in the final, um, you know, the one year where that guy ran out on court and tried to put a hat on, on Roger Federer.
0: Jimmy Jump, yeah. esteemed Pitch Invader person,
1: yeah. I'm like, like this isn't stuff that we should be laughing about no, ever.
0: No, ever. You know, the next year, Jimmy Jump uh, pitch invaded Eurovision. Okay, there you go. Fun thought. They had to redo the song. It was a Spanish song, anyway. So that was not great. And the other big four story controversy thing that's been taking up a lot of real estate was based off a report that came out a few days before the tournament from Simon Briggs of the Daily Telegraph in the UK, who reported that. Uh, Rafael Azal had asked for Carlos Bernardes to no longer officiate his matches um, after a couple incidents of backwards shorts gates in Rio. It happened in multiple matches, which was made it really stupid.
1: Really? Yeah. I, thought, I, 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 I was happened, there. I only because remember I, Because I got in a debate with
0: somebody which match it happened in. It happened against Cuevas and against Fanini. Mm. And both times it was Bernardes in the chair. And so the second time it happened, Bernardes was like, no. The first time he let him change on anyway. So there's an article about that, and it raised all these issues about officiating and ATP star privilege and stuff. And Courtney, you were telling me about it. You guys were joking about it on the radio today.
1: Oh, yeah, because we were on. I was on the radio with um, Gigi today and uh, during the Federer-Monfils match, and we were just kind of saying, like, for everybody who's concerned that Carlos Bernardis is, like, Unemployed? He's not. He still gets to officiate very high-profile matches, and in this case, it's a uh, Federer and Malfice. Um, But I don't know. It's just such a weird story because honestly, I have to be honest. Honestly, I have to be honest. That makes that's a terrible sentence, and I really just have to apologize. You're just for so that. honest, Courtney. I'm really honestly, tired. You're um, I kind of just don't care about this right now. Mm. Like, I really just don't think it's that big of a deal right now. Like in the midst of everything. Um, that's going on at this at this tournament trying to cover a grand slam it's just not something that really pings as all that big of a deal obviously it is a big deal um, insofar as just how it looks, you know, to have a top player come out and, and... and and I mean, I guess in some ways you have to credit Rafa for standing up and saying, yeah, I did. I did submit the complaint. He didn't run from He that. didn't run from
0: the report at all. Yeah, he
1: didn't say, like, oh, I don't want to talk about that or, oh, that stuff that, you know, is from behind closed doors or anything. He's like, yeah, you know, I did uh, ask that, you know, we take a bit of a break, a vacation, as it were, from each <laughs> That's other. the
0: other people, Carlos.
1: But this is just kind of one of those things, and I... It just, I don't know, it just goes on my list of things that happen in tennis that aren't that big of a deal, but at the same time, just make tennis look like a JV sport.
0: This, I think it's, I think it shouldn't happen. I think, I totally understand if umpires want to say to play, go the other way, umpires should have total scratch on who yep. they officiate. totally. But, no, players should not be able to say, I don't want that guy. And it sets a bad precedent, because as a questioner pointed out, in a very, Ubaldo, or guest a couple weeks ago, and a very long episode, uh, question to Rafa, um, it means that, you know, if Nadal makes the French Open final, then Carlos Bernardes can't officiate that, even if he was otherwise had earned that privilege through his strong performance evaluations and reviews and all those things. And like he is even very, if he's the
1: best, yeah. quote unquote, who, I'm not saying he is, but even if he's the best, that's what that means is that yeah. you don't have the best umpire in the chair. And this is especially an, an egregious instance because I don't have a problem with Rafa requesting whatever. Like, Rafa can complain all he wants. Any player can submit a complaint. Like, if an umpire, like, curses at you, if an umpire is otherwise rude to you or treats you with disrespect or whatever, that is totally legitimate reason to complain and ask for somebody to, like... I don't know, not be in your thing, but it's it's not about the players. The players can submit their complaints all they want. Yeah, this is about the ATP. Granting the request. This is about the tour granting it, and that's where um, I get really, really concerned about about what that means and who's
0: running the sport. And yeah. also, this one, Rafa was with the basic nutshell. Of the incident is he asked to change his shorts because he put them on backwards and to leave the court to do that. It was like I said, I think the second match in a row. What happened? And Bernardis said, "Okay, but if you go over time, you're going to get a time violation." And Nadal thought that, that rule shouldn't apply to him, and that's him, him thinking again that he's not liking time. Obviously, Nadal in time is a well-worn subject, but just generally thinking that rules should not be enforced. And all Bernardis was doing he wasn't like he, there was no bad behavior from Bernardis at all. It wasn't anything where like you know he overruled five straight calls and Hawkeye showed them all in, or there was some real reason to think there was bias. No, he was just trying to do his job, and so. Anyway, the whole thing, I think ATP shouldn't grant. Don't blame it all for getting away with it. Blame the ATP for for letting it happen and allowing this sort of privilege to occur. And it does happen all the time. And if it was a more obscure pairing, it wouldn't be as important. Let's say, like, uh, Jersey Yanovitz or some equal, it says no to Maria Chichak. And so, okay, that's fine. Like, you guys aren't going to see each other anyway. Because it's a prominent umpire and a prominent player, not ideal. Yeah, um, the optics are not good. Let's talk about Rafa on court though briefly, and we're not going to look ahead. But so far, fine for Rafa first week, and the other top four guys all as well. I guess well, Berdych is technically the top four guy, but big four, uh, all all surviving, and Rafa hasn't dropped a set or come close to it really. Yep. There we go. That's, that's fine with that. Um, let's go on to the other sort of call controversy issue with the chair empire that happened here last night in the women's marquee women's match of the first week, which was Serena Williams against Victoria Azarenka. Azarenka was leading uh, by a set and, serving to, and had led 4-2 in the second set and was serving to stay in it at 4-5. Set point for Serena – and a ball that Azarenka hit skidded off the baseline. Serena was sort of looking for a call, missed the next shot. Call came late. Uh, Cotter Nooney got out of the chair, showed the mark to be in, and they replayed the point, and Azarenka was not happy about that. And in in my years of being on tour, the best Azarenka press conference ever, afterwards she called the call bullshit. She was just very, very non- um, just, you know, there's no filter, there was no rejecting of, you know, oh, I don't really feel this way, the way you get with, you know, you know, if, if otherwise I was ranked, might be like, well, I don't believe in bad calls or something, something, you know, more along those lines, but she was, owned it, she complained about all the terrible draws she's gotten this year and wondered what she did in a past life to deserve that, which is true, she had, has had rough, rough draws this year, and uh, it was an interesting match and, and to a, a really pretty good match and a great performance by Serena in the third set at least.
1: Yeah, no, it was a very good match. And I thought, I mean, again, it just reminded me so much of Madrid where it just felt like, you know, man, Victoria Zarenka is playing well enough to win this match in straight sets. Yeah. Um, Fairly comfortably. But she got, you know, slightly nervous there. Was she robbed by the call? Maybe, maybe not. There's a lot of little discussions about it. Uh, To me, uh, you know, I've seen that call go that way more often than not, which is that that's a replay. I've seen calls where the out call comes far uh far later than that and the umpires call it a replay. So, you know, I there was a little, you know, exchange of words and hand flipping at the net which was incredibly entertaining. Oh, it's so funny. Um, but, you know, I don't think that in any way, shape, or form that's going to affect the the relationship between Serena Williams which and Victoria Azarenka. It's
0: a credit to Azarenka.
1: Yeah, it's a credit to Azarenka. And, and well, no, I think it's a credit to both of them because I think that with Serena, my read of her reaction once uh, Victoria Azarenka kind of, like, waved her hand as she turned away, basically dismissing Serena's uh, attempt to explain that she thought that the call had come before she hit the ball or during, uh, during her swing – Uh, that Serena kind of had this look of like, almost amongst really good friends. Like if I got into an argument with Ben and he did that to me, I'd kind of stop in my tracks and be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this is me we're talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. I would not cheat you. Like, you know, sort of thing. So, you know, I mean, I think that, that, yeah, it was super, super entertaining. I don't think it's that big of a deal in the big scheme of things, but it did raise the, uh, very real and, and what I think is a big deal, um, within tennis, uh, the the prospect or possibility of video replay in this sport which I think is 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 I don't understand why it does not exist why not
0: it's so easy it's so especially in, on a TV and a TV court you know with all these angles easily just you could have supervisor come out with a, with an iPad the match queued up or something and rewind it and with sound because this was a late call issue in this case and if it didn't take too long obviously I mean you don't want uh, I, I don't think tennis would deal well with the things to have in NFL, for example, like a four-minute guy staring at the thing. But if there's a way to do it quickly, go for it. Otherwise, I mean, it doesn't happen that often, but I understand totally, as Rankin's point, I do think it was a rough call against her. I would not have made that call if I was Nooney. In um, my opinion, just another not great The minute that fiction. you saw it? Yeah, no, I, when I was there in the stadium, and I saw it, and it seemed like a late call for sure.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, when we were when we saw it, like, uh, I was on radio for it, all of us were like, no, I think that's the right call. Like, you know, so, again, it's that close, right? Yeah. It, you Where, like, multiple people sitting in the same area or looking at different, whether it's video or whatever, kind of come up with a different perspective on it. So, in that situation, I think what really just bothers me is that you have, yeah, you have that situation where some a player has hit, an incredibly good shot. That's the problem with the with with that is is that's the problem right there. They've hit a great shot that has deceived the line judge in how good it was, you know, or no. or whatever, and they get robbed on it. Like that seems really, really, you know, jacked up. So so while like
0: while we appreciated Azarenka's honesty and press, and she was great throughout. Um, the one person we didn't get to hear from in press this week was Venus Williams, who lost in the first round to Sloane Stephens. And as I was sitting there waiting for her to come in, because I was writing about that match, uh, I noticed that no time was getting posted for Venus. Sloan came and went. No, still no time for Venus. Eventually asked the desk, you know, is are we going to see Venus today? And eventually the answer was, nope. Venus and elected to take a fine to be determined later for skipping press. uh wound up being $3,000, announced a couple of days later. Courtney, you had an interesting thought, I thought, on players skipping press that I think Maybe the players shouldn't listen to.
1: Dude, if I was getting paid whatever it is, twenty seven, was it twenty seven thousand dollars in the first round?
0: Euros, yes. Euros.
1: Twenty seven thousand euros, that's like literally eighty thousand dollars. So big, yeah. <laughs> But like if I was getting, doing
0: good, yo, America's is. doing good. It's
1: it's about probably what, like 32, 000, yeah, 31, thirty two thousand? 31, yeah, yeah. $32,000. As Ben does a Perrier commercial as we ah. speak. That's oh, so weird. Um but yeah, if I got paid Twenty seven thousand twenty seven thousand euro to show up at a tournament, and I lost, and I was just in a mood where there was just no—I re- just didn't want to do press. I totally would bail for three thousand. Lost to a player
0: you do not want to lose to either. As we pre sure. I mean, regardless yeah. of any of all any and all of that, That's but part of
1: I'm it. no, but I'm just saying it, on a general on a general like scale, I just I just am surprised that more players just don't take the three thousand dollar hit. And, and bail and just leave and not have to deal with all of it. Now, I think that it's a huge credit to the players that they don't do that. I mean, you know, the fact that we all, we, we've we said this before on the podcast that tennis, we as writers and even as fans, you everyone has far more access to these players than in vi- most, most other, other sports. Other sports sure. It's like not even close. I was talking to somebody about um, football, the other soccer and she was saying, you know, Messi hasn't given a one-on-one interview in, like, years. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. I was like, that's crazy. Like, you wouldn't – like, for us as, a, as tennis writers, we would never – that was just never a thing. So the fact that players do do press as much as they do and also, you know, um, you know, abide by their commitments is, is a huge credit to them. I just think, you know, <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, take the fine. Like, you know, sometimes when, you know – I don't know, any player loses to another player for, like, the gazillionth time, and it's a high-profile thing. It's like, just bail.
0: Speaking don't worry about of, it. Speaking of players losing for a gazillionth time, I want to give a brief shout-out to Sam Stoser and oh. Maria Sharapova. And especially to – I, I was thinking that Sugar pova should come up with a line of lozenges after this week because she's been a hacky mess and gotten through, so – Good for her because it hack-y was looking... Hacky in
1: her... Like, hacky, like, sick. But actually, her tennis hasn't been that bad. Yeah, tennis has been good. Her is, tennis her, her been Her noises
0: making me weird. Yeah. They've been weird. But otherwise, pretty good. Um, the other sort of story of results in the first week was the Young Guns, the Aussies, um, and Borna Chorich, and Jack Sock. And Jack Sock. I Sock. I mean, the, and he's much older than them is. in terms of age. He's 22. That's a good point. Yeah. But he's... A later bloomer than a born at short so he's this is his first time being into the second week of a grand slam he'll play rafa in the fourth round which i'm we're both looking forward to a lot we won't advance because what's the point um he killed born at short it's just like that was a brutalization and short had played a five setter against rubredo before but still i mean sock remember we said in episode 99h i think when we talked about sock winning houston i read almost nothing into that title didn't Neither think of did that I. much and this is and even as a result he lost to Sangha and Simone I think on later european clay but even then I wasn't thinking much of him and then this week I've sort of been sold Yeah, I've on been Jack sold, I've been been sold as well
1: and I think that I was actually far more uh, negative in my assessment of Jack Sock after even after he won Houston than than Ben was. Um, I just was really convinced that the forehand can't hold up. The backhand is too much of a liability. Uh, you know, opponents are going to be able to find that backhand and put it there, and Sock's going to make enough errors to keep his opponents in, and all this, all of that, and. The thing about Sock is that he has the same thing that Kyrgios has, which is this unadulterated self-belief. And at such a young age, for players who haven't achieved maybe as much as their their
0: swagger. Especially uh, Sock.
1: Yeah, especially Sock. I mean, at least Kyrgios has made two quarterfinals. And he's had
0: wins. Yeah. Kyrgios has beaten Federer at all. Sock doesn't have a marquee win to his name. Yeah. I mean, this win he had earlier this week over Dimitrov. Was the biggest win of his career, and that's not much of a win.
1: Yeah, and it's still, and even that with yeah, with the way that Dimitrov has been playing, you kind of shrugged at it. You're yeah. like, well, that was expected. We expected Sock to to win that one. So, but but having watched him much more closely this week and a little bit more through the clay season, you see exactly he's not hiding the ball. Like he, you know exactly what Jack Sock is trying to do, which is shrink that backhand corner, run around everything, hit as many forehands as he possibly can, and particularly. Um, what I kind of like now because he's better at it. Last year and two years ago, I felt like Jack Sock was just incredibly undisciplined, right? He was going for shots. Um, that were never on and and you're just like dude you're way out of the court you got to hit that forehand bigger than just like looping it back in and exposing the 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 remainder of the court and leaving it open yeah now he's he his he's so much better with his decision making which has made his game a lot tighter and so I appreciate that and one of the more fun things that I really enjoy watching in sock matches is that move that he makes where you you know it's like it's like a tight maybe 30-all point, break point, a 15-30 point, whatever it is, when he's returning. And you know the person misses the first serve, and you just know.
0: Green light. Yeah, green yeah. light. Jack yeah. Sock
1: is about to get in and rip it. And it's kind of fun. Like, I really, really like it. Um, and more often than not, he is ripping that forehand and getting it in. And so I don't know. I've really enjoyed watching him this week. And um, – yeah, I'm I'm much more of a believer in in Jack sock now than I was four weeks
0: ago. What would you say his upside is in terms I, of this? I, I I told I think I, I think he's somewhere between an Isner and Erotic. i
1: I I don't think about it that way, yeah. and for me, not because I I just I just don't think about it that way. Okay, um, but I I think I told a number of people that this week that I think that of that young set, and like we said, he is a little bit older, but I do think that of that younger set with Curios, Kokonakis, Chorich, whatever he's the guy that's going to win a major first. Wow. I think that he can zone for, I think that he can play that
0: type of tennis for seven matches. I think that qualifies as a court and win hot take. Is it? I think so. I guess. Yeah. I mean, People I just. curious. and that's a hot take.
1: Yeah. yeah, but Kyrgios has, I mean, has Kyrgios proven that no, he can Kyrgios like withstand also, a tournament? No, he's, also, he's not as he's strong so, as Sock He's so, yet.
0: I don't want to say fragile, but he's proven so breakable in that he's, he has elbow problems here. See, he'll be good at Wimbledon, but just, like, constantly not playing a full schedule and stuff. And yeah.
1: here's the thing that about Kyrgios that kind of bothered me a little bit. And this is totally ticky-tack, but I just remember that this was, like, a very visceral reaction that I had. Was, like, it felt like maybe 30, within the hour of losing to Andy Murray um, in the, uh, what, fourth, third round? Third round, yeah. Um, he was, like, reposting his hot shots on Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, before he had even done press. <laughs> He was like, "Tough day, lost it." But check out this tweener, like, and check out. And I was just like, "I don't think I really but it, like that." Could it was that. somebody else
0: though. Could have been like yeah, a that's social true. Media manager. No, that's
1: true. It could have been a social media manager, which is very possible. But I just so maybe you're right. I, I shouldn't blame. So- no, but uh, even still, as a,
0: it's not a good look. for It's a not Twitter a good account. PR look. No, but you're right. I, I shouldn't.
1: I shouldn't tag him personally with it. Yeah. But when it happened, I was like, "Ugh, like that's gross. Don't do that. Like, be pretend you're bummed." <laughs>
0: the third. Player of this group we haven't talked about is tenacity Kokanakis, who made the third round of a major for the first time here he came back from two sets down and five two down the fifth set to beat bernie tomic in a which is a tremendous headline called in in australian paper which i heard is going out of business soon which is part of the reason they felt free to do this (laughs) which i think is tremendous In like the metro paper they hand out on like australian public transportation saying bernie chokes on cock (laughs) which (laughs) what's not to love about that um And although someone else said maybe it's pronounced like "coconakis" and it's Bernie Chokes on Coke, which is a cocaine reference. People need to
1: realize something about the cock nickname because every single time I put it on Twitter, people are like, I can't believe you said that. It's literally his nickname. If you ask Australian players and Australian coaches and people even within Tennis Australia, Darren Cahill, I've asked him too. They're like, his nickname's the cock. I'm like, really? They're like, Yeah. And they say it completely with a straight face. So it's not that big of a deal. It's not like we've come up with it and we're scandalizing. And we're
0: giggling, it. giggling. It's yeah. his
1: name. They call him the
0: cock. I can't. I think I don't know it what wasn't I his do. Instagram handle like the cock one or something at some point? Nice. nice. I think like
1: yeah. a wiener at the end.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna leave that there. No the Courtney was holding up her finger <laughs> as if her finger was indeed a wiener, quote unquote.
1: <laughs> I love that I said a wiener.
0: Pretty great. <laughs> Oh God, I had so really good Wiener Schnitzel guy. in Vienna, by the way. It was I'm tasty. sure. I only like ate one meal there, but it was that, and it was pretty tasty. Um, one other match before we get to Drag sleigh, which we're going to f- sort of do later. Um, one of the match, which maybe is a Drag Slay situation, they want to just mention, acknowledge. Two well, two matches from uh, Yulia Putintseva, uh, who my my main hope at the end of 2014 was that Yulia would come back and be a relevantish person. 2015, not quite there yet, but she did manage to beat Alexandra Krunich and had a great celebration afterwards. And then played a long match against Lena Svitolina, uh, eventual quarterfinalist Lena Svitolina, in the second round.
1: My dark horse pick for the semis.
0: Yeah, stay alive. Yeah. My Bachinski pick is staying alive as of recording this. Wood
1: wood, we know about so tennis. We're, we're doing, doing okay. As
0: Kvit- oh, but you picked Kvitava to make the final, so one of us is going down with that. Did I? You did. I did not know what I was. I mean, <laughs> the top
1: half. Do we even need to rehash
0: the. No, we're not going to redo the it. The disaster but of all that. Yeah, re listen if you remember how confident those picks were. <laughs> uh, but we're not. Totally stupid. Yet, so did that's nice. Did I pick nice. Sharapova
1: to beat Kvitova? Yeah. Okay. Did. I all picked right. Sharapova to beat
0: Pechinsky. Okay. And now Serena's going to basically win all of us. So. All of us yeah, so oh beat well. Everything. Uh, but like, but like we said before, that was, we talked about Serena a little bit. Her first week, like I, when when she was losing to Freedson, I was thinking, okay, this is exactly what I picked. Serena loses somebody, but I have no idea who. <laughs> Freedson is exactly, I have no idea who, literally like, the as only, a person. Like,
1: literally the only name in 128 per, women draw for Ben I can think of. That would be, like, yep, nope, got nothing for you on her. I knew
0: that she had, like, frizzy hair, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. I had nothing. Yeah. So she's the other Annalena in German tennis, which is saying a lot. Um, yeah, so that's basically this. Any, any moments from Poot's Fitz that you wanted to immortalize?
1: No, it's just that, I mean, once again, even though... Here's the thing. (laughs) Uh, And that wasn't an edited thing that just happened. That was just literally the way that my brain works. Um, I found the Putin-Seva stuff very interesting when contrasted with everything that Alize Cornet did this week. They could have played each other. I know, but to me, there is... I actually genuinely, 100%, enjoy everything that Alizé Cornet does on court. Everything, every single thing. Mm-hmm. I love it all. I lap it up. It's just... It's I watch the gifts. I love it all. It's just, she's a gift and a GIF. Um, Poots, there were moments in both of her <laughs> matches where I was like, I'm so over this. I'm not watching it anymore because it's, like, mean. Like, there's, like, there's an element of, like there's an element of innocence in the way that Alizé Cornet goes about her dramas. Whereas with Poots, there's an element of intention. Menace? Yes. And it frightens me (laughs) and it makes me uncomfortable. And so watching both of them do their thing, because it's both kind of a similar oeuvre (laughs) of drama. You
0: do speak French.
1: I do. Um, And yet there was one, there was one flavor I liked and there was one that I did not. And I think that with Poot and Seva, I enjoy it up until a level And then when it, but there's a line that it crosses where for me it
0: becomes really um, uh, obnoxious. Cornet is exhausting to watch, but I think that yeah, Poots is a little scary. I give you that, a little scary. Not someone you want to see in a dark alley.
1: I guess yeah. I mean, I'd party with Alize. She'd be awesome. Yeah, she'd be hilarious. She'd have stories. If you guys haven't heard our podcast with with Cornet, you really should. It's a great episode. It's one of my favorites. It's
0: pretty great. Let's move into Drag Slay. Uh, Slam edition version. We have a bunch of nominees for this obviously let's start with the positive let's start with slay and the main slay award we're gonna give a mini slay i'll do it first because it's pretty short to andrea mitu and allison van Oytvank for finding each other in the second (laughs) week of the grand slam (laughs) because what were the odds of that happening like this is a bad 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 first round match and these two ladies how did this happen without not much work of their own like okay Pliskova of a one real scalp it was the bouchard section it was the Bouchard Sketch, yeah. which is which is desirable real estate for the foreseeable future. Um, just like a Golbus section is, etc. Uh we didn't mention Golbus. Golbus lost. Oh well, he's down <laughs> in the eighties. R. I. P. Golbis. Um yeah, Mitu uh came back and beat Pliskova, who is really misfiring that day. That was not a pretty match. Uh I watched a lot of the Van Orbank Diaz match and it was I know, but I like Van Orban because like I said, in another episode, I think in, we're talking about Brussels where she
1: yeah, the, the Petkovic match. Yeah, 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 because yeah, she
0: nearly beat her. Pliskova, uh, sorry, not Pliskova. Van Oivank is like the lone like ginger ginger. Not only in tennis, maybe in professional sports. And she is so translucent and pale. I'm Like, I'm much less pale than Van Oivank, and it makes me feel yeah, Ben's, like, Ben's like skin, a human being.
1: Yeah, Ben's skin is like not Ivanovichian... That. Like, like, like caramel
0: tan. I would say it's more like Sloan compared, compared to, compared to, <laughs> to <Allison.
1: laughs> But bless them both. I don't know how they found each other. Yeah, I mean, Me Too came through. I mean, the two anchors, the two top seats in that little quarter were Pliskova and Bouchard, which is a pretty, I mean, gosh, that was a soft quarter with and Kuznetsova. Kuznetsova in there. Yeah, and I think that we really thought
0: Kuznetsova was going to get through there. But... But once, but I will say, the other thing is once they, once that... Because that's the left there. I really thought Mladenovic was going to get to this quarter. Yeah. I thought that was a yeah. flop, Mladenovic yeah. losing to Van Oort, I think, Yeah, I agree with on you. On long lawn. just I mean, I understand someone's like, well, she's French. But, I mean, come on, take them. Kiki's you, always been Kiki, good on big stages. Yeah, exactly. You, so Kiki, that was Kiki
1: doesn't get the whole Caroline Garcia French tag. Because Kiki has now, in the last two years, beaten like top ten opposition in the first round last year with Lena, yeah. and then now with yeah. the, with the Genie. And she's done it in pretty like, swaggy style.
0: So let's give our Grand Sleigh Award to the other match in the section. To in... the Grand
1: Dames
0: <laughs> of the first week. <laughs> the ladies who who lunch in Paris. It's Francesca Schiavone winning an epic 6-7, 13-11 in the tiebreak. 7-5, 10-8 went over Svetlana Kuznetsova. Bit of deja vu. Obviously, they played the longest ever Grand Sleigh match against each other in 2011 in Australia. One that went 16-14 in the third and lasted four hours, 44 minutes. The Cousin's match came in just under four hours this time, but was not wearing short on drama, especially on clay. Lots of long rallies, lots of passing shots by Fran. Fran, who I really thought very well might retire at this tournament, like after she lost her first round match, whoever that was against. Um, uh, Wang Chung, so she wasn't going to lose that, but she's been bad lately. She told Preston Italy at the rome tournament to you know ask her all, all your questions now because you know this might be the last time you see her and indeed it might have been she still might be retiring soon but it was really really cool that if she did get a last hurrah it was that sort of vintage ridiculousness against kuznetsova because
1: she played so good yeah it wasn't even like oh she got a really nice win but the other player just played absolutely terribly and she happened to be standing on the other side of the court which like, needs this to be pointed was... out
0: with kuznetsova <laughs> Because that's what I'm used to playing bad matches. So right, right, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, like, Francesca Schiavone played so well. I mean, it was, like I said, I was in the press room the year that that Australian Open uh, match was played. And I've never seen, and this includes finals, okay, everyone. Um, I have never seen a press room full of people as riveted by a women's tennis match. As I saw in Australia, and it happened again this year with that uh, with this match, and it was just really cool to see because they were playing so well. I mean, even yes, okay, there was like whatever six straight breaks, and Sveta was choking slightly with a couple double faults in that one game. But really, Francesca was going in and like throwing herself into that match, trying to do everything she possibly could, and that volley to set up match point. Absolutely bonkers. The backhand to uh, save, save match match point. point yeah. Absolutely bonkers-er.
0: It was nuts. Um, so, yeah, it was great. It slayed. It slayed. It was tough to figure out one drag. So we're going to have a, a, a quartet of drag queens sharing this award. We'll start with the guys, though. Two miniature guys getting it, drag kings or whatever. Mikhail Eugenie, first of all, early in the tournament, pulled out, speaking of vintage performances, one from the vault I didn't think I'd see again. <laughs> But <laughs> taking his head to his racket, no, sorry, no, his racket to his head, head to rack, whatever direction it was, hard, actually crushing his own skull with his racket, and this time being forced to withdraw after a while because he essentially reported concussion-like syndromes. He dragged himself. He dragged Mikhail Yuzhny,
1: the professor, dragged himself out of the tournament. Um, and, you know, this has really been a tournament that has always had... Uh, you know some some fun memories for Mikhail Yuzhny. He yep. had the he, this is where he wrote the sorry, right?
0: It is. He's had yeah. some bad performances here and here. Trivia question for you, Courtney. Do you know who the Russian number one is after this tournament?
1: I would presume it's Gabashvili. Gabashvili, yeah, Tamraz yeah. Gabashvili, who had an incredible first three matches, was only broken once until he ran into Kori today, and Kanishkori Kori would him, but. um But, yeah, pretty impressive from from T-Gabs. Yeah,
0: but anyway, T-Gabs is still going to be outside top 60, more or less, close to that. And so it just shows, I think, with Yuzhny doing this to himself and Davidenko being retired and Tersenov nowhere to be seen, it seems like the end of what was a really good era of Russian men's tennis for quite a while. Good Davis Cup team with Safin and Kafelnikov, and there's just nobody. And there are some juniors. They have juniors, luckily, for them. They have Rublev and they have uh, Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov, yeah. And they have Cefuelin and stuff. Like, but anyway. So Cefuelin's
1: good. I like yeah.
0: in a lot. So anyway, it just seems like a worthy thing to point out as a drag. The other one goes to Griever Dimitrov, who we've dragged on here before. Um, just not good at all against Jack Sock and just had no His heart idea wasn't what in he it. was doing. His heart just didn't
1: seem in it. And, um, you know, last year when he lost to Ivo Karlovich in the first round, Dimitrov, you know, that was a match where you're like, oh, he was trying everything, but it was one of those days where Karlovich was, like, unreturnable. Um, and then against Sok, he just—I don't know—he just—he just seemed kind of like a space cadet. He wasn't really fully engaged in the match. He wasn't really trying to problem solve. Just kept doing the same thing over and over again. And yeah, I mean, we talk about Dimitrov quite a bit, unfortunately, on this podcast because it seems like almost every other week he's putting in a, a pretty surprising poor performance and and not one that he should be putting in now that especially this year where you know he he really should be moving up in the rankings and he's sliding back yeah
0: he's got over a thousand points to defend on the grass coming up make having won queens and making wimbledon semis so his ranking could be hurt in a big way if he doesn't get it together and pretty soon and we'll see i just think he i think he needs a coaching change i think we said this i think before. so yeah just needs a fresh set of eyes in there. which isn't think...
1: a commentary on roger rashid that's just that partnership is done
0: run its course yep. and it took him good he got to be a yep. much better physically player it's a huge weakness for him he's done some things better but that is a sinking ship with the two of them steering it drag queens several of them uh let's start with Jeannie. we mentioned her earlier Jeannie lost again she's lost eight of nine matches i was asked by a canadian reporter who's here covering the tournament uh mark masters from tsn who does some tennis but not like you know day-to-day tennis and he was saying asking if i had a you know a allegory for someone falling off this sharply 8 of 9 matches from being that high and I couldn't come up with one of somebody who just like blunt like immediately stopped winning tennis matches
1: Ernest Golbis
0: Yeah, but Golbis didn't reach the heights that Genie did. No, I know.
1: I know. Yeah, no,
0: it, it's it's and it's Golbus was still winning some matches last year.
1: Hard to say. I mean, because when you think about the slumps, like the really bad ones, I mean, the worst, I mean, the mo- worst and most prolonged, really major slump of the last few years has been Ivanovich. What happened after she won in 2008. Yeah. I mean, even, like, you know, it's a crazy thing to think about, but by making the quarterfinals this year, it's the first time she's been in the quarters here since 2008 when she won.
0: If she wins one more match, she'll be the first semi of any major since yeah. she won 2008.
1: I mean, that's pretty, you know, and this is coming from, remember, when Ivanovic won in 2008, it didn't come out of the blue. She'd won She'd two had... of
0: the... Previous four Slam finals.
1: Exactly. And she had been, yeah, she'd been the, the French Open bef- uh, final before that. And she had done semis and, and, you know, was a top five player. I mean, that was almost the culmination of a, of a real nice build up. It was kind of
0: overdue because she was thinking, like, why isn't Anna want to slam me? So I am like, wow, Anna came out of nowhere.
1: Right, exactly. Whereas Jeannie was really, you know, shot, of a, shot out of a cannon. So, yeah, I agree with you. It is really hard to compare it to anyone else. I mean, that, yeah, the loss to Modenovich, definitely not good. Um, I don't know, you know, I mean, going into, I think I said this on the podcast uh, in the last one, uh, that you just maybe throw it in. Not throw it in, but just kind of acknowledge that this season, 2015, is going to be crappy. You're not going to, you know, yank it out of the doldrums. You're probably not going to finish top 10. No, no way. um, All these sorts of things. So just kind of reset and move forward from there, which isn't to say like, you know, like play shitty, but like yeah. div- divorce yourself from the expectation that from yourself that you're going to that you should yeah. be winning. And it's like... tough
0: to do after how great last. I mean, it's got to be tough. for someone yeah. who's so competitive and so driven. Stuff. I don't know what you do with Sumik. I mean, Sumik, I don't know when you pull report on that. I don't think you do. I don't think you do. February, one win, like pretty much no wins in their partnership. Yeah,
1: but there's so many different factors going on, swirling around her. It's not just that like she changed uh, coaches and that was the only, you know, variable that changed between last year and this year, you know? Yeah. Um, And this always brings up a a topic of conversation that I, I don't know, it's a topic that I'm kind of weirdly obsessed with. And if you've ever like had drinks with me about like if you're a tennis fan or whatever, I've always brought it up, is this idea that. Anna Ivanovich, Jeannie Bouchard, um, let's go with those two as examples. They win. They, they have incredible success at a very early age. And then for the rest of their careers, they're measured against that. And when you're measuring against being number one, everything looks shitty. Yeah. Everything looks shitty. There's nothing that you can possibly you know uh, 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 measure up to or whatever. Compare, contrast and compare that to Lena and Francesca Schiavoni, two players who were journeyman players their entire careers, and then at the very tail end of their careers, break through and win majors. Their, their court, I mean, still to this day, Schiavone has like a, a, a incredible amount of goodwill. You know, we don't sit there and be, oh, you suck. You know, it, it's not the same um, um reaction, yeah. I guess, from reporters and from fans. And instead of looking back and being like, well, maybe Lee Na and Francesca Schiavoni completely underachieved for so long in their career. Like, we say, no, but look at, they, they came out and, you know, they were resurgent." It's they improved. A f- yeah, whatever. And it's like, but no, but if you were to flip that around, right, if Ivanovic never won in 2008, but she wins in 2018, it's a completely different career arc even if at the end of the day you have the same exact resume totally so i think that that's something to just kind of keep in mind a little bit with with bouchard and with any youngster that breaks through is that you know once you you kind of do do so well um uh, like the aftermath is brutal
0: next one i'll mention is carolyn bosniacki who lost second round to Yulia Gerges, third time she's lost to Gerges on clay in her career. Super weird. Which is just a weird stat. weird pigeon, not pigeon, because the head-to-head head head is close. Yeah. But it's, it's almost more of a Venus Paranth of a situation. There's somebody who's mm. nowhere near you in the rankings, who has your number routinely for some reason, and it shouldn't happen, it's frustrating. And Caroline, yeah, just after the Stukart final really didn't do anything else on clay
1: yeah she really didn't so, um
0: there's a another lost opportunity like for her this year i think it's been a squandered opportunity i don't think she's playing that badly yeah, she's not she's like really she's not cheating you're not like wow you can't win anything but just could be could be much better
1: are you the one that tweeted some or maybe told me some stat about how many fourth rounds or quarters she's made out of like if you discount the final that she made obviously last year there's like an incredibly long stretch of like uh, slam futility but I yeah. can't remember the specific stat unfortunately off the top of my that, head it look it up there you go yeah.
0: um, other one briefly another long term struggle story is Agnieszka Radwanska, who just was I think in, played much worse than Genie I think in a great... I really like the dress. I don't know about anybody else. I like the disco ball. Look, she looks great dress. in it.
1: I mean, like, Aga pulls off any dress that Lotto gives her. It was weirdly cloudy. And honestly, mall. let's just be happy that, like, Aga got that Lotto dress as opposed to the other gray thing that all the other girls have to wear that, um, again, my, my cohort, Gigi Salmon, on, their, on Radio Roland Garros keeps saying looks
0: like a bridesmaid's dress. Gigi's getting a lot of love on this show. I like Gigi's this. Gigi's awesome. Gigi we all, is, Gigi's tremendous. It's
1: pretty great. I mean, like, tonight, it was... Two women doing radio at the French Open for Federer, Monfils. It was just nice. That's all I'm saying. It's kind of a cool thing that happened.
0: That is cool I appreciated that. it. It's a cool thing that happened. Anyway, Aga got her butt kicked, like kicked <laughs> hard. Anyway, Aga got her butt kicked <laughs> by Annika Beck, who I don't think has a lot of kicking experience of any no? form. Yeah, yeah. Like this was, she, he got, she got, blowed off the court, blowed yeah. off. It was really, it was, it was quite. I mean.
1: Now, obviously, there's always two two sides of the coin. It was a great match from Beck. She was hitting the lines. She was hitting so deep. I mean, it was really great. It's but, the bulk of S. Uh, yeah, but Aga Rydvanska should know how to figure that match out and yeah. how to how to keep uh, her opponents, um, get the ball out of their comfort zone. And she just didn't do it, and she looked completely lost throughout the match. And it was disappointing. I'm, she, I'm, I'm worried. She I'm took very a wild, ha-
0: wild card into the new WTA tournament in Nottingham which I think is an encouraging sign, so she should be back on there. And Grass is... If anywhere is going to fix it, it should be Grass, although she does have this Canada final title to, re- to defend coming up not too far in the future in August. So And,
1: and finals semis? WTA final semis?
0: Yes, w- with one win, but yes. yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she I mean, made that's a of lot that of group. points. It is a lot of points for sure. Um, so that was the, the last drag queen, I think it's the biggest one. I'm surprised we haven't said this name on the show so far. Simona Halep... For me to encapsulate this, Simona Halep lost to Mirjana Lucic baroni for the second time in three Grand Slams in straight sets. This should not be happening to a top 10 player, much less someone who was really a very shortlist favorite at this tournament to go crashing out, getting blown off the court um, in an eventual loss by the score of 7-5-6-1, and it was 5-0 before that. Thoughts on that match and thoughts on Halep's very disappointing play season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that really came out of nowhere. I mean, we, it, it seems so long ago. It seems a very long time ago that Simona Halep tore through the hard court season, winning Shenzhen to start the season. Then she goes and makes quarters, right, at the Australian Open. Yes. against Makarova, and a terrible loss there. Yeah. And then rebounds, you know, has a bit of a shaky um, uh, Fed Cup weekend, but then rebounds completely from there. Wins Dubai, wins Indian Wells, makes the uh, semifinals of, of, Miami. of Miami. And a Great it, match against Yeah, Rangers. great match against Serena. And it all looks gravy, and then it all just falls apart. And I really, you know, I saw a lot of people picking Halep to make the final, possibly win out of that bottom half. Um, And I just didn't see it. It never felt it. She never had that confidence on the clay this season. And I I never really could pinpoint why that was. And I asked her specifically after her loss, you know, uh, whether she could pinpoint it, you know, because sometimes players can't. Right. They come in. They're like, I have no idea why this is happening. She said it was because she was trying to be too aggressive um, that in practice she's been trying to hit like too big of a ball and hit too much to uh, play a little bit more power tennis. And that's not what she does. And she wants to get back to playing her style of tennis. So it could be that, you know, I mean, I did think that it was relatively surprising to see how heavily involved Darren Cahill had become uh, with her team. I mean, in a good way, but obviously with Hallep anytime there are changes, well, with any player, anytime there are changes, you kind of wonder, you know, what, what is that trying to address? There and there been she a lot has of changes like a lot of changes and she has a pretty big team, you know, I mean, for, uh, for her, I think, so yeah, so a lot of a lot of surprises, you know. I don't. Again, we know she can obviously play on grass, um, having made the semis last year, and um, yeah, I don't know. But but this was this was a
0: quizzical couple of months for Simona Hallett. Agreed. So we'll see how she does on the grass. It was not a bad service for her last year, really, um, and played well on American hard courts too, decently well. So we'll see. Just it's a big lost opportunity. From what I talked, I talked to some of her team. They said basically they thought. It was more about her just not being ready for the... She put a lot of pressure on herself and being picked as a, as a favorite. And this is your moment, someone, this is your slam, get this. And it just didn't, didn't handle that pressure very well, overhitting however, however it manifested itself. But the match, there was just not a lot of fight against it was just running. She wasn't mixing it up like she should. It was, it was disappointing to see for sure. So thank you guys for listening very much to this mid-slam episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along with us when we're not in your ears you can do so by following us on twitter ncr underscore tennis and both of us individually as well courtney is 40 deuce twits i'm at ben rothenberg you can also follow like us on facebook facebook facebook.com slash ncr podcast and you can also subscribe to new episodes on itunes or any other podcasting app of your choice and get them automatically that way which is pretty neato um we're gonna finish with a rant rave sure do you have one uh-huh. Go for it, Courtney. Rant, rave away.
1: So I don't really like Uber. I generally I generally tend not to use it stateside. I just for kind of, I mean, weirdly ethical reasons. I just think that they're kind of a crappy company and they treat their drivers really poorly and all these sorts of things. So domestically, I never really use them. I'll use Lyft or some other type of um, taxi service or whatnot. Okay. Um, But it is amazing in France. Like, literally, if you're in Paris, first thing that you should download or before you get here and set up is the Uber app on your phone. Because for someone like me who doesn't speak a lick of French, like, I couldn't – I mean, I could probably, for example, say the street that we're staying on. But I don't know how to say the number. And that's a big struggle a lot of times. Um, it's great because you can obviously order the thing, you can input your destination and you literally don't have to talk. You get in, you get out, you don't have to deal with money, changing hands, all of these sorts of things. And on top of that, the best customer service I ever receive in Paris is Uber drivers, They are so good. You sit in, and a lot of them speak English, which is somewhat helpful, but you sit down. They have bottles of water for you. They have 20 different charging cables coming out of their little uh, cigarette lighter (laughs) in the back of the thing, Uh, mints, chocolates, all that. Um, It's super great and, uh, and pretty reasonable, I think, compared to taxi prices, and I always get really nervous in the taxis in Paris because I'm never entirely sure that they're going where I need them to go because I don't necessarily trust them, so... Uber in Paris. Highly recommend it. Do download the app. It's fantastic. But nowhere else. Nowhere <laughs> else. <laughs> <laughs> Except, actually, England. England's good because it's cheaper.
0: Oh, then, then black cabs. Then the black cabs, yeah. Black cabs sure. are expensive. Um, my, I already did my Paris spiel. I feel like that would have been a much better rant now. But I will come up with a, more of a rave, which is for a slash rant. Rant slash rave. Um, there's, not a lot of food on site for media here, but the one thing I have had a couple times is these. And you will be surprised with this, because we talked about it. We bashed them before, but I had those waffle things uh-huh. out on the walkway, and they come. And it's, they call it gofres, French for waffle. Okay, and they put like um, Nutella on it, and it's amazing. It gets all over my face, and it's a mess. But it's great, except for the one time, the first time I got one. They instead of they apparently run out of Nutella, even though they have the industrial sized vats of it, they'd run out and so they'd put like basically like, chocolate syrup on it. I don't think that's an adequate substitute. I, agree I don't with that. think so at all. No. I think Nutella is a whole different ball game and I put Nutella on a lot of things in Paris, in France, in Europe. One of my prouder moments in life was at Heathrow last year, where I successfully argued that Nutella should not count as a liquid because if you turn <laughs> if you open it and turn it upside down, it wouldn't fall out. <laughs> Like a liquid would. Did they buy it? Yeah, they eventually were like, fine, shut up, just go. <laughs> That's amazing. And so I got to bring Nutella home with me on my carry-on. Because it was too heavy to put my check back. So that was a proud moment. So we'll look forward to more Nutella adventures going forward, because I'll be here a while. I had one of the crepes at the stand. Yeah?
1: It's good. It's good. It's perfectly fine. I think it's a little, I mean, for four euro, it's
0: not bad. The waffle, I think, is better.
1: Is the waffle four euro, too?
0: Five. Yeah.
1: It looks good. I just, I was running. And they put so a I,
0: lot of Nutella in it. and it, it's, it's pretty good I don't do the Nutella thing. I, I, I w- sugar?
1: Yeah, I do powdered sugar. Okay, also fine. Yeah, and I do sugar in the crepe as well. Also fine. So I'm
0: not the fan of sugar crepes. I don't think there's a lot of there there with the sugar crepe.
1: I just like it. It's okay. tasty. There
0: you go. We'll leave it with that. Some things you just like. So we'll see you guys next time, whenever that may be. We don't know, at least after the tournament, if nothing else. But we will maybe do one before that. But don't hold your breath. Bye, things guys. Mo- things
1: move quickly here.
0: They do They really do. Yeah.
1: So it's hard to play catch up. But goodbye.
0: Au revoir.